Eponymic? Eponymic? Nope. Eponymic? I think you were right the first time. I don't... Hold on. Uh, Eponymic? (laughs) Eponymic. It's got to be eponymic. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Interrogang podcast. This week, we talk about the marketing strategy behind stating that a font is one size fits all. Can one single font ever truly satisfy all our needs and desires? That's what's coming up. I'm Joshua Dick, along with my good friend, your Interrogang co-host, and a man who is neither compressed nor condensed, Kyle Reed. How goes it, Kyle? Hi, Josh. I like that pun today. That's a good one. <laughs> Thanks. I guess it implies that you're wide, but I don't mean that. Perhaps. I, my friend, I, I did not mean to oh, imply that's that. That's okay. So I think, you're, I think you're regular. Thank you. I'm Kyle regular. That's How it. That? Yeah. We'll just, yeah. I'll go with that. Great. I'm glad, glad we cleared that up. Uh, let's get to the episode. Let's go. This is week 13, 2023. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another roundup of exquisite typefaces that were released this week. Normally, we see a flood of Sans families, or at least that's what 2022 made us begin to understand as commonplace. But this week, we are all about the serifs. I've got three serif type families to share that get consecutively more serify as we go along. What a refreshing roundup. You ready, Josh? All right, serif time. All right. First up, Manor from Colophon Foundry. Manor is a very trim and tailored semi-serif family with a condensed proportion. I wanted to read you the description of Manor as written by Colophon because I feel like they always do a, a better job of describing their typefaces than I do. And this one's really good. So here's how they put it. Quote, although Manor's roots are firmly within Theodore Lowe Devin's Devin's eponymic type design of the 19th century, its sensibilities are recut and pushed through a contemporary lens, traversing through the weight range, starting in a more classical old style in the light where details are fine and its serifs are long and graceful. The bolder styles, medium through black, become decidedly more asymmetric and angular. It is this morphing of stylistic attributes and qualities that bring a unique charm and warmth to Manor's idiosyncratic forms. Uh, Despite the fact that I can't say eponymic, eponymic, uh, this description does very, very well, or it it describes the, the, the aesthetics of this typeface very, very well. Light range, heavier range, it takes on these different characteristics. So I can't really find a bone to pick within this description. I really love this one. Perhaps it's more of a, a candidate for one of my favorites uh, of the year so Ooh. far, actually. All right, put it on I the just list. Like the, the combination of everything. Yeah. Do we have a list? We need to make a list. All right, let's make a list. Oh, we've got lists. <laughs> so if we head further down the serif spectrum, we find Frost Type's new editorial serif family, Meyer. Meyer is technically a transitional serif, sharing DNA with the softer curved Elseviers and more contemporary branding serifs that we're seeing a lot of these days. Meyer is a very contemporary family. It exudes a proud, but not necessarily snobbish, air across its eight weights of Roman and Italic styles. So that's 16 fonts total in the family. Meyer draws inspiration from 70s and 80s advertising serifs which makes this release rather timely, actually, as we've been seeing a lot of foundries put out families that play into this design style. It's having a moment. Yeah. Um, Frost type seems to be well-placed and well-timed here as we see this wave of advertising-inspired serifs be, uh, begin to crest, having already crested 
either way, yeah, Meyer is, it's a real looker. I think it's really pretty. Something else that I noticed about Meyer, it's a good example of font weight is in the eye of the beholder. It's some of the beefiest lightweight font you'll ever <laughs> yeah. find. And the difference between the mm. heavier weights and the lighter weights are very subtle. You're really getting a just a, a slight transition from top to bottom yeah. in terms of weight. Not as drastic. Not a, not a negative comment at all. It's just you're not going to get a razor-thin version of Meyer. That's a good point, Josh. Yeah, the design language ends at a certain width, width or sorry, weight. Well, uh, the furthest end of the spectrum features a truly masterful serif design from production type, Gamuth. Gamuth, quote unquote, borrows from Dutch Baroque faces and their typical breadth, narrower than usual proportions, generous X heights, and crisp detailing are key features of the typeface and contribute to giving a dense, deep texture to running text, end quote. This typeface feels like an old world classic that's had a very modern makeover. Designed by Max Esne, Gamuth, or sorry, Gamuth is doing some very impressive things here. Subtle, but very impressive. It's angling, it's horizontal strokes, keeping the baseline serifs blocky and more brutal. It's flaunting a very high X height, vertically chamfered terminals in places, which is a bit of a rarity in old world typefaces like this one, or old world inspired types like this. Uh, and it's adhering to a steadfast sense of proportion that you really have to admire, especially in the caps here. This is where the, uh, I think Gamuth really shines. It's It has an openness, yet a containedness that seems at odds, um, but uh, it just shows how how pro this thing has been put together. Yeah, it kind of feels to me like it stands at attention more than other fonts, which yes. maybe is a weird comment. No, that's but a great it, way to put it. I think because it's got those narrow proportions, it it feels more upright, more erect mm -hmm. than a lot of other similar fonts. Yeah, yeah, it's a really interesting quality to imbue into a typeface, um, you know, this sense of posture. Gamuth seems to know itself, and it's really not afraid to be all about it. It comes in display and text subfamilies, um, which are a real masterclass in tailored type design. The display and the text do feel very different, yet of the same DNA. It's really true. Yeah, really, it's a stunning piece of type design here that you, uh, you have to look deeply to really uncover its secrets, but when you do, you're well rewarded. Well, lastly, uh, I know we've gone through our serifs for the week, but I wanted to throw a fun non-serif design system into the mix to close things out. Nouvelle Noir's new release is Knit Grotesque, a robust family of typefaces exploring uh, the structures of knitwear. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, which is, I, you gotta love a yes. really specific inspiration like this, yes. but man, this plays out so well. I felt like I had to bring this one up because it's it's kind of wonderful, the charm and personality that they've been able to extract from what are essentially pixel fonts. And so many ways people could actually use these. There's so yeah. many places for what is a very niche design choice. There's The possibilities are endless. Yes. Yeah, so I don't know how crafty you are these days, Josh, or if you knit or anything. I am not at all crafty. <laughs> zero crafty. Yeah, zero crafty, Josh. Uh, the six typefaces in this family are designed based off of this binary on or off pixel grid system that goes row by row as a knitter would. The uh, the <laughs> the designers over here at Nouvelle Noir have gotten very creative with it 
and fleshed out different weights and stripe styles across six typefaces that keep that knit pattern spirit alive. So it's got a couple of, of stripes left and right, technically Futura-esque letter forms, but uh, and I also imagine if you go into like the punctuation or some of the deep cut glyphs, you could use the, these typefaces as, or sorry, these fonts as a uh, as a decorative element as well. I mean, you're really creating oh, these, totally. these knitwear inspired patches and pieces uh, that come together as a legible set of alphabetic you, letters. You could build so much out of knit grotesque. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, for me, it makes me want to pick up a set of knitting needles and get to work. Uh, I <laughs> um, so I don't know if you want to do that, Josh, but if you do, uh, I expect a sweater, you know, this time oh. next year. <laughs> I I will make you the world's ugliest sweater, and not just because I don't know how to knit. I will purposefully make it ugly for you. Uh, That's I, my gift to you. I would love nothing more, Josh. Nothing more. Okay, done and done. All right, Kyle, let's jump into our big discussion and let's talk. Okay. <laughs> let's talk, Kyle. Let's talk about a line that keeps popping up that we're seeing in marketing copy for fonts and a line that might signify a massive shift in font usage and marketing in this day and age, or it might just be a bold-faced lie. Okay. Let's find out. What we're seeing, what we're talking about, is some variation of the following statement. Quote, this font is designed for long workhorse typesetting and works well at large sizes too, which sounds perfectly lovely and benign, mm -hmm. and wouldn't you want a versatile font in your library? But, Kyle, you told me this one strikes a bit of a nerve with you, right? So yes. tell me more. Tell me why. How, how does this make you feel? <laughs> well, this phrase I've just been seeing pop up everywhere i've been seeing it pop up everywhere and yeah uh it's not just in indie foundries either this is a everywhere type problem in my uh, in my experience um josh you and i we chronicle a lot of typefaces we see a lot of type uh we read a lot of marketing copy and inevitably right. this line gets in there right and or something like it yeah i don't really understand it i think to me this has come up as a, a line that is is ubiquitous and at this point, kind of doing more harm than good for the industry. So this this line is, uh, yeah, it's 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 hitting a nerve somewhere in me that makes it feel as though it it's a, it's annoying at this point. I wanna I wanna drill into what is this line all about? Why people keep using it, and <laughs> sure. why I think that people should stop using this line. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me let me start with your second one. Let's start with why people use it, because I think yeah. I can understand why it sounds good. It's it's marketing 101. It's selling mm -hmm. how good, how awesome, how one stop shop, how you you just need this and then you're done. So I can understand why people uh, yeah. want to market their fonts with this. But I guess. I guess what we're getting at and what our problem might be with this is it's probably not true or <laughs> rather, let me rephrase that, that there's a there's a difference between a font that is made specially for something mm -hmm. and one that's just general. Yep. And this kind of seems to imply that the specialized designed fonts aren't what people want or need. 
Yeah. When maybe there's a lot of room for that. Yeah. I think it's you're trying to sell a medication that cures all. And everybody knows that right. when it comes to medication or tools, a multi-tool is rarely as effective as a specialist tool. And uh, when right. people keep using this line, this this font is designed as both, you know, it does everything, that it takes the tooth out of what the typeface actually is best at. Right. Um, yeah, of course you can use it at small sizes and big sizes. We're in the era of digital <laughs> type where, you know, it's really not going to matter too much in terms of legibility if you're using it at, you know, different sizes. So you can lay claim to the fact that you can set it everywhere and it works. It's technically true, but it's it it does a disservice to the original, I guess, reason why you created a typeface in the first place, and that's uh, to be a, a creative tool for something specific. So you're right. It comes down to this specialist versus generalist debate. But let me let me take this in a slightly different direction. Yeah. Assuming that this is kind of an uh, a way to oversell. Yeah. Or or really kind of negate the specifics of marketing your font. Mm-hmm. What's the problem to overselling a font? Isn't it just the buyer's responsibility to use it however they want? Yeah. Or is there a real detriment to if you're not accurately describing <laughs> the font you've created? To me, this like it, it comes down to like sales and technical co- copy versus marketing copy. Yeah. This line falls into the into the bucket of of marketing copy that's saying something without really saying anything at all. Right. It's the line that you're supposed to use in order to sell fonts. Something like this is so broad, is so general, that you're not actually telling a buyer what... I mean, obviously, a buyer can do whatever they want with a font once they buy it. Yeah. But you're not helping. You're not guiding. You're not providing information. Yes. So... But I guess my question is, what's the damage you can do if you oversell or rather just not Mm. provide any guidance as the designer when you are putting your fonts out for purchase? Yeah, I would ultimately say that you're missing out on sales because people don't realize that they are passing on a tool that they might need. Right. So yeah, if you if you use bland language to sell it, uh, you'll get a bland response from people when you're looking for the right buyers of your font. Um, so that's the damage you could do to yourself. Uh, and I guess the damage you could do to those who are buying uh, the font, you know, you, you put a tool that is highly tuned, highly tailored, um, you know, really finely machined into the hands of somebody who doesn't know what to do with it or has no instruction on how to get everything out of it that they can. So it might fall flat or not get used as much as you'd want it to. Yeah, it does feel like lazy marketing, too, because it's just so unspecific. Yeah. And that's 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 frustrating. And I think that's at the heart of what frustrates us here. And we just want to hear more. We want to get more or get our hands dirty. Yeah. Get get the fonts under our fingernails (laughs) a little bit more. But let me, if I may, Kyle, I have a I have a bone to pick with a specific part of this, and this is something that I've been thinking for a, a while, mm-hmm. and it's it's that use of the word workhorse. Ah, we yes. We are seeing the word workhorse constantly, right? And that's, you know, it's a fine word. It's a it's a word that has been used to describe fonts for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I'm not here to to say you know, it needs to go. 
But I do think the use of the word workhorse to describe a new font has become entirely overused. And at this point, yes. I don't even know really what they mean by it. Yep. It's it's kind of like when you read the same word over and over and all of a sudden the spelling doesn't look right and you're questioning whether it was ever a word in the first place. Yes. And it just has lost all meaning. Yep. Because the point to me is that not every font is a workhorse, nor should mm -hmm. they be. That shouldn't be the aspiration. Like we were saying, fonts with specialization, not generalization, have a lot of value to the industry, to the makers, to the buyers. Yes. And so maybe we've just let it have too broad of a definition because there is a difference between a font that's best suited for long block text and one that can be used for a bunch of different purposes. Mm -hmm. But I think many font descriptions are now using that term for both of those situations, sometimes for different fonts in, of the same foundry. So it it becomes more confusing. Yeah. So Yeah, the lines are getting blurred. My argument is we need to be more specific. It's too mm -hmm. easy to just say, my font can do it all. Now go buy it. Right. If all we do is work the horses, we're just going to have a bunch of tired horses. <laughs> Save it. Save workhorse for when you really need it. Save a workhorse, ride a cowboy. That's what I always say. That is uh, a very apt <laughs> uh, motto for this day and age. That's absolutely true. <laughs> it's, it, it's a little bit of a thinker. But it's a it's a phrase that's been in my family for decades, so <laughs> I, I thought I'd share it. Yes, this term workhorse, I mean, it's clearly an old school blue collar uh, term um, <laughs> that, yes, it has, it's lost its relevance to today. And um, I, I think there is a time and a place for the term workhorse. And that's when you are setting along text, using type to do a majority of the conversation, not necessarily, not just in branding where right. you're using a typeface to right. set a headline or two, a subway ad or in a logo. Like workhorses are, are built to do the work. And this blurring of the lines is unfair to, to those that actually are designed to be quality workhorses. I feel like workhorses even become synonymous with just good. If, if yeah. someone wants to sell it as a good font, they call it a workhorse because that sounds tough. It sounds like it's yeah really doing a lot of hard work. Yeah, it's an easy word to go for. Like you say, if it's just going to be a, a one-word heading, then you're misusing the word. And like you say, you're undercutting the power of the word for the fonts that could actually be referred to as workhorses. Yeah, yeah. and my, my big thing here is I'd like to see the, the term workhorse return to just the typefaces that are workhorses um yeah i'd like to have everybody stop using this term in such uh carefree ways just throwing it out there um i don't know if you were hip to this when it was out a while ago a couple of years ago when the the key term in in branding land was authenticity sure every brand wanted to be authentic everything was authentic we're talking about authenticity all the time, right. blah, blah, blah. And eventually, every brand was just claiming to be an authentic brand, and thus nobody is. If everybody's right. magic, then nobody is, right? And that's what this workhorse thing is for me. So I, I have a list of words that I think we've overused into the ground. And uh, I'll, authentic, yeah. workhorse, artisan, and bespoke. Bespoke, Those yep. words mean nothing <laughs> anymore because we right. all used them to describe everything and yes. now they mean nothing yes so 
Okay, we've we've done our rant on workhorse. Everyone, just <laughs> find a different word. It's not about stopping using workhorse. It's replacing it with better words. Yeah. Yes. I want to bring this conversation back to, you know, if someone is designing a font and then marketing a font as mm-hmm. a, quote, one size fits all. A, yeah. a, this font will do whatever you need it to do. I just I just want to hear your opinion on this from a designer's perspective. Can a font be one size fits all? I mean, obviously, some fonts are more prepared to be used widely than others. But what are some yeah. pros and cons to st- right. to striving towards a, the design of a font that can do it all? I personally don't think that it's a good idea to market a font as one size fits all or that it can really even exist. Yeah. I think the role of a type designer square one basic is to create a visual representation for the communication of language, the written language. Right. And there are so many nuances to, to written language, uh, in the way our eyes work in the way that, you know, different cultures interpret written languages that, you can't have a, a, just one hammer to hit every nail with. Type designers spend a lot of time making optical sizes. They spend a lot of time making different weights, widths, and proportions. And this is all right. for a reason. <laughs> you know, if yeah. if there was really truly one size fits all font, there would just be one font out in the world. We as humans right. have developed this need for something more than that. So I think it's a bad idea to say, Oh, I'm gonna make this one font that that li- literally fits every uh, situation. I just I don't think it exists. I don't believe in it. I guess <laughs> you could try. Feel free, but it just um, doesn't exist. You're, you're robbing us of the joy of type when you when you set out for an endeavor like that, right? Yeah, I think that's your last line there. You're robbing us mm-hmm. of the joy of the work put into type. Like I said before, yeah. I can totally understand the desire to be able to say come by my font because it'll do whatever you 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 need it to do but i do think it mm-hmm. undercuts also the work that designers do to learn the craft yeah. to to get good at what they're good at you know it we always in um theater when i was performing on stage yeah. there was always this joke with classmates of mine that if you went to a show and you just didn't like it or get it but you had a friend in it you'd just kind of say after the show you'd be like wow great you were really up there you were on that stage you were that up was there. great and that's as far as you go and that's a funny joke but it always it does kind of it always bugged me that you wouldn't be able to find the details mm-hmm. that that you're not even trying to boil down what was good what was bad did you get anything else out of it yeah and yes you're trying to like you're trying to be nice to your friend and all that but i think when you really spend time to get to into the details of the work done and i don't think you need Mm -hmm. to spare people who may not understand all the nuance yeah because then that's how we'll all grow that's how we'll get to the next thing right and so i i like your comment of it's it's taking away the joy of why a font works or doesn't work 
where we can use it, why we'd want it, why a font is one of our favorites. Because also yeah. a workhorse to me, in my mind's eye, is just bland, is just normal. It just is. I don't know that many people whose favorite food is white rice. I right. just don't. And yeah. <laughs> if I may, white rice is the workhorse of eating. <laughs> and that's great. And it should be. And it should exist. Yeah. But there's more. But it's not going to be the most yeah. exciting. There's more mm -hmm. out there. There's more for your, for your typographic palette. And that's what, we, that's what we want. Absolutely. Just to put a final note on it, I, I highly recommend to anybody who's marketing a font currently or looking to market a font here in the near future, take a good hard look about what makes your font special. What differentiates your font? You know, what is the thing about it that nobody else has got? And focus on that. It's okay to be a specialist in this world. If you're a generalist, you run the risk of being bland. And this phrase of does everything uh, is the like, calling card of that blandness. So embrace the diversity, the color, the, the variety of type design and um, you know, sing it from the highest mountaintop you can. This is what's cool about my typeface and we can we can stop calling all of our all of our typefaces workhorses. That's it for this week's Interrogate. This episode was edited by Andrew Spiritz, who also provides most of the original music you hear on our episodes. The music you are listening to right now is Cut It Loose by Max Band. The Interrogang is a production of Proof & Co. Visit our website at proofco.xyz for more type news and to subscribe to our weekly newsletter that chronicles all the activity in independent typography every week. You can also check out our 2022 Annual Report and Almanac, a data-driven analysis of the world of independent type. You can get yours on our website as well. Follow us on Twitter at proof underscore end underscore co, on Instagram at proofco.xyz, or you can always drop us a line via email at hello at proofco.xyz. If you have any thoughts on what we discussed in this episode, have any topics you would like to hear discussed on a future Interrogang, or if you're a cowboy and don't fancy being ridden at all, we'd love to hear from you. As always, thanks for being a part of the Interrogang. We will see you next time. I think we got some in there. Those celibate cowboys. <laughs> Those celibate cowboys. <laughs> yeah, we, that's about as, that's as spicy. That's a very sexual innuendo. Uh, what good is our podcast filled. if it's not filled with sexual innuendo? I just... <laughs> Uh, it's probably better <laughs> yeah. if it's not. It's more valuable if it's not. <laughs>